So I want to tell you something that I haven't shared with anybody today. Oh, good. I'm excited. I got new printer ink, and there's just no feeling in the world like that. Oh, oh can I say that I feel you from the bottom of my soul? I feel you. Getting new printer ink oh. and installing it and watching it go through the drivers and actually happen, it's a beautiful thing. It's it's kind of orgasmic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's forever. It's been your printer's low on ink. Okay, your printer's low on ink. Okay, your printer's low on ink. Then it was we won't print unless you put more ink in. <laughs> the ink came, and I put that stuff in so fast in these mm-hmm. different slots that you put it in, and yeah. then it's just it's just flowing. Like, don't you color. love it when it like clicks and it goes? Click, oh and it goes, it my click. god! It all clicks into place. It just, you feel accomplished. You know what? For someone who's not a tech savvy person as well, it feels like you've just done something extremely technical. (laughs) And all you did was slide it into a slot that is made for it. There was no heavy lifting involved. And then last week, you and I, we... uh, we didn't have this type episode last week. I ordered staples from... uh, Amazon, mm-hmm. and the shipment that came, I can honestly say, and it was a little unnerving. I'm 51 years old now. I mm-hmm. will not outlive my staple supply. Oh, you have you have that many staples. I have that many staples. Like, why I, did you order? So I could many? live to be 120 years old, and I will always have staples to put into the stapler that's sitting on right here. The sitting on my desk which is a power-ass stapler. This thing, 25, wow. 30 pages, go right through it. But I'm telling you, I, there you are so what? many staples, I, I will die before they're I, finished. I haven't stapled something in a long, long time. I, I, I guess I believe you're, you. God, I believe you. Uh, you, why do you. How do you staple so much? Like, What are you, what are you stapling? I'm stapling articles that I print for games that I do. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm not green. I'll say it right now. I wish I were more green. I wish I was doing more to help the planet. But when I have to prepare for a game, I have to actually print articles out and highlight them. I I need them them in my hand. Like I don't know how you are with a script. Like I need to hold it and mark on it and think it through and yeah. go back over it. And, and yep. that, I can't do it on a computer. I was just about to say that. Can't like when I it. have a script, I, I need to print it out to actually read the lines, learn the lines, write on it. I, you know, I do not, I'm not good with digital printout, d- digital stuff. I like, I like tangible you know, even with books, I like to read a physical book, hold a Absolutely. book. Absolutely. And I will get a book. And if I'm into a book and I just, uh, Beneath a Scarlet Sky, I finished not long ago. Mm-hmm. And I was going on a trip. The book is weighs a thousand pounds and I didn't want to put it in my backpack. So I downloaded it onto my iPad and it just, I don't get the same sense yeah. of satisfaction of actually the turning same. the page. I, I, know. I want to see same. progress. It's just not the same, and I feel so, so bad for my. We're kids. old school, though. We're so old school. Yeah, uh, I but love it. But I mean, but this this <laughs> rebel right here, I'll get people bitching and moaning at me for printing all this stuff out. But that's that's just my method. That's no. my madness and my well, method. So you sent me a video though this morning of your the back of your head. What the hell <laughs> happened there? I I didn't even know what it was because Michelle was filming it, and it. I, I didn't know whether you honestly, not to bring this back up, got, you know, more hair plug surgery or if this was an accident. But what the fuck happened back there? Here's the thing. I don't mind you ever bringing it up, obviously, but I feel like we've done enough podcasts now where we just keep going over the same shit. So my hair plug thing, uh, you know, the Randy Moss thing that's in this episode that we're leading into today. Um, what happened with the Ran- what happened with the Randy Moss thing? What do you fuck off? <laughs> and then uh, you know you and your dad walking out. I and blah, know. Blah, 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 okay, blah. so what happened with your hair? So I so yesterday I'm playing in a golf match against a guy. Uh, match play. I played borderline average. 
maybe worse. A guy that I, Tim Collins, shout out to Tim Collins in St. Louis. I thumped him last year. He'd be the first to tell you I poured in six birdies on him. Yesterday was payback time. And he played okay. I played worse. Uh, and I just started drinking. And I was just depressed. And I kept drinking. And I kept drinking. <laughs> then I smoked a cigar because I thought, you know, I've had the cigar in my bag for over a year. The thing was like lighting up a piece of plastic it had been in my bag for so long it was like it was like lighting a piece of wood it was so, so, dry, so dry so dry i thought the thing was gonna like light my face on fire because it was it just was like no it was a I, second I, and a half cigar it just goes and gone so i smoked that and then michelle met me for dinner and we're drinking again, and I'm just I'm drunk by the by the time I get home. Michelle drove home. I was very proud of myself for not, you know, being stupid in that department. <laughs> get home. I'm looking in the mirror, and I'm like, ugh. I've been so long since I've had a real haircut, and I looked at the back of my hair, and it was white comma gray and it was stringy and long and i had the shaver that they sent us from manscaped <laughs> and i just like ripped up the back of my and i felt so good and, and then i was throwing the clumps of hair into michelle's cleavage and she was getting i mean she was kind of mad kind of not and i just and i this is how drunk i was i did this with my hat still on i went oh up the back God. of my head and I was like, man, that looks so much better. And it feels so much better because it's tight back there. But <laughs> what I was too drunk or stupid to realize is that at a certain point, now it's it's still stringy and long and shitty and ugly right above that, <laughs> which I can't see. And Michelle, this morning when we're getting the boys breakfast uh, ready, she's like, what did you do to the back of your hair? I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I just I did that. Oh, and my it looks God. so bad. I love that you used the manscaper that we do ads for. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> oh, amazing. It looks awful. It's embarrassing. I think I'll wear a hat until I can find it. Can you go get a haircut now? Is that legal? Yeah, Is that I think so. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it depends where you are, but um, I got my first haircut, but she came over, she came over here and Cut all the whole gloved up hair. and masked yeah, all up masked and all up and gloved up. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I rented a thirty-foot trailer, which I've never ever done before, and I'm hauling my family up north to go hang out in Oregon. And uh, it, it sounds amazing, but it could be a total disaster. I, I I've driven boats behind my car, you know, I've trailered boats, but nothing this huge. So I don't know what is going to happen. So you're going to be in the car. I, I'm in my truck, and I'll be pulling the trailer. Uh, okay. My brother and his wife are going, and then my mom and Kurt were like, hey, we're going too. So it's this family caravan, um, camping caravan, and, and we can't find a place to fit all three of us for the life of us. So we're just fucking winging it. It's, 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 it's going to be fun but crazy. And I, I don't know what's going to happen. It's going to be pure adventure, but I'm excited. I'm, I'm excited. just thinking of the person who's driving along the highway like Christy Brinkley in vacation who looks <laughs> to the right. And it's like, oh, my God, there's Kurt Russell and Goldie <laughs> Hawn. And then like two seconds later, is that Oliver? Has it, is that Wyatt Russell and another? You just need Kate and you've got like the last 40 years of film covered. Uh, I know. On this caravan. It's so funny you said that because <clears throat> I was Aaron brought that exact same thing up because Kurt rented this big ass 35 foot RV like a bus. So the front windshield is like flat and really open. Who's going to drive someone, that? Kurt. Him? Not he, my mom. No, I know, but I, I would think he'd get a driver. Is he capable of driving no. a big bus? Yeah, Kurt's capable of pretty much doing anything. He, he'll figure everything. In film. He figures it out. In film, he is. No, I have a funny story, actually, about some, him just figuring it out. When I was about 12 years old, my brother Boston you know, was, I don't know, eight, nine years old. And we were in Colorado, springtime. The rivers were very high. It was, you know, obviously when you get that, when you get that runoff, the rivers get really, really big. We went to go river rafting. We get to the spot. The guy says, you know, what, what do you want to guide? And Kurt says, nah, we're good. 
And the guy's like, well, oh, Mr. Russell, like, I think you need a guide. It's really big out there right now. He goes, no, I got it. I got it. And they're like, sir, you know, and by the way, this is mid 80s. So there was no real restrictions no on anything. No rules. You could just go. You know what I mean? And uh, he let us go. We get in this boat. And there's a famous picture because we hit this rapid that was so gnarly. My brother flipped out of the back of the boat. I had to grab him, pull him back on. But there's a picture of Kurt with the paddle in one hand, and he's screaming, hold on! (laughs) And I am back in the back of the boat. You see my face. I'm bawling, crying. My face is contorted, crying. And we go through this insane rapid. Boston falls out of the boat. I have to reach back and pull him back in. We made it. The point of the story is Kurt didn't really know he didn't really know what he was doing but he figured that shit out and we got uh, out alive <laughs> god that is i got to see this picture first oh, of all oh it's 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 an amazing where picture. is it it's where's classic. the picture i have Currently. it here i have, you it, have in it? My, in my garage yeah does kurt have it up on the wall no no why i would if that were me and the boys are behind me and i'm got an oar in one hand and mm-hmm. like a bud light in the other yelling come <laughs> on hold on <clears throat> oh, i know up it on was, every wall in my I, in every room of my house that that yelp that scream of his in that moment is seared into my memory hold on and the picture was taken right at all who took the picture who it was took a the guy picture? there was a guy doing um photographs up there for the outfit you know for the uh river rafting outfit and it was a it was a rapid called steel bridge rapids and right as he was doing the on they took the picture so kurt's mouth is wide open i'm crying oh Oh, this yeah. is like uh, Overboard 2, or what was the other, uh, the the seafaring movie that Kurt and your mom did? Uh, was Captain that was Overboard. Oh, was Captain Overboard? Ron? Captain, <laughs> it's Captain Ron. It was Captain, Captain Ron, Ron. too. Yeah, he channeled, he channeled that experience for Captain Ron, you know. Um, well, that, oh, that's part God. of the reason I'm in therapy, you know. And speaking of therapy. Because of that one scream? because <laughs> of that one primal scream it was hold on yeah if only uh, maybe he's just if, cheap maybe he's just cheap is he cheap he didn't want to pay for a guy no 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 he, he he just likes to he just likes to do things himself you know which, which take, i can totally appreciate you know i i get that it's like nah, let's do we got it we got it let's do it you know that's okay that's his deal. Doesn't he fly planes too, or helicopters, or does planes, he do any yeah, of that? He's a pilot. He's a badass man. Is he? Uh, no, he's a stud. <clears throat> he's a badass he's man. Um, better, better, or worse pilot than Harrison Ford, if you had to guess. Oh God, way better. Come okay. on, come All on. Right. Harrison like Harrison crashed his plane at Penmar Golf Course. Hey, it's Han Solo. Uh, totally. Hey, Han. Uh, but I was like, eh, baby, hand me my eight iron. Holy <laughs> shit. It's Harrison Ford. <laughs> <laughs> I think this breaks right to left. My God, it's Han Solo. <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> all right. After all that time that you've wasted listening on your headset, wherever you may be in this great country, on to our guest, one of the uh, hottest comics in the world, not just the country, and somebody that uh, if my daughters and I share one comedian's work via text and copying and pasting and links to different shows, it's Sebastian Maniscalco. In fact, I have a sweatshirt purchased by my youngest daughter, Trudy, after going to one of his shows. He is brilliant, he is Sebastian, and he is here. Um, well, we, we have this we have this podcast that we call Daddy Issues, and I have my own. I live in my dad's shadow. Uh, Oliver lives in every member of his family's shadow, at least in his own mind. <laughs> And it's interesting, Sebastian, to to go back through your history and and uh, your family's history and see the relationship you have with 
your mom and dad and, and how that's been passed down now to your young kids. And uh, it seems like your dad has been a, a pretty constant presence uh, from the beginning for you, Sebastian. Yeah, well, my dad is mainly the focal point of my entire act. Although when I was young, my dad worked like a bull, still is, 74 years old. He's a hairdresser. He's, he's still doing dye jobs. So he and I really connected over, and it's funny, uh, this, uh, the, the Bulls championships during the 90s, we, we connected over me playing soccer and us watching the Bulls games. And uh, he's always been a, my biggest fan and my biggest critic. And uh, he comes to shows, and he's very passionate about what I do. It's uh, caused some tension early on because he would give me a lot of critiques about what I was doing and how I was doing it. And we kind of finally reached a, a, a point where he could just come and, and enjoy the show as a fan, not as a parent. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's... Does he have the credentials? You know what I mean? Like, you're the comic. Like, how is he saying... Hey, listen, what, 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 what are you saying here? I mean, how, how, <laughs> if you ever talk to my dad, he goes, he would say, I know funny. Okay. And that's not funny. <laughs> <laughs> does he know, funny? You got, does he know funny though? I mean, is he, is he a funny man? You know? Yeah. He, he is, he's a character. Yeah. We've always laughed, uh, with one another. Um, we crack each other up. And, um, yeah, he, he's like one of my best friends now. Um, but in, in the early goings of it, he was just, you know, he was, he was working. My mom was raising the family. He was working. And now that I'm a father of two uh, small kids, three and one years old, I always wrestle now with, like, how much time do I allocate towards being a dad and being with my kids? Do I allocate towards, especially now, being 71 days in the house? It's very difficult to not like feel guilty because you're not playing with your daughter or your son and you start to feel like what's the proper balance? I haven't figured that out yet. No, I know, dude. I, I, I wrestle with that, you know, myself. I've got three kids, twelve, ten, and six. You know, my dad left when I was young, and then Kurt, my stepdad, came into my life. Um and was there obviously he was present but they're making movies my mom was making movies i was always sort of skipping around and you know i it's it's business they have to go do their job but i think something happened to me where i just went hyper dad you know because i didn't have as the attention that i probably needed i my kids are my top priority you know, over my career, over everything. You know, I've I've had moments with my agents where they're like, "You got to get your shit together." I'm like, "You guys, sorry, this is what, this is this is what's important to me." You know what I mean? I don't want to go to Bulgaria for four months. It's just not, I need to be with my children. You know, what the hell are you shooting in Bulgaria? Lots of shit shoots in Bulgaria. Really? Yeah. Shut up. Like what? I- well, Ishtar? I didn't do the I didn't do the job, so I don't I don't know. But a lot of things shoot in <laughs> Bulgaria. Trust me, <laughs> I I feel the same as you, Sebastian. Like I'm I, so I've got daughters that are 23 and 20, and now I've done it all over again with two year old twin boys. And now that we're all kind of in this confined area, it's hard to be in the other room and not feel that guilty pull into their room, even though they're taken care of or being watched or somebody's there to help. And, and that's the constant struggle I have all day. So therefore I I feel like at the end of the day, I'm ready for bed about six minutes after they are at seven 30. And it's been a constant push and pull with my guilt factor of trying to, you know, have my own time, but yet be involved as the super dad it's a lot and i think this has made us all kind of reevaluate what we've done with our time you know you've been in the game now for three years and i've been in it twice over for 20 plus it's made me reevaluate all the time that that i have spent away and and what i do with my time when i'm in my house and and they're two rooms away yeah i mean especially when you add that travel component in whether it be shooting a movie or or broadcasting or doing stand-up you know when you're not in the home you don't necessarily, it's like out of sight, out of mind. It's like you're away doing your thing. And then when you reinsert yourself back into home life, 
you know, you feel a little bit, I don't know, for me at least, when I would go on the road and come back, I would feel like reinvigorated with, you know, getting involved. And, and I, 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 I couldn't, I am built to work. That's just how I'm programmed. I feel uh, whole when I am out earning and providing. And that's just, that's just how I'm wired. Uh, not that I'm not wired to be a family man, I am, but I cannot, you know, yeah, to play with a three and a one-year-old for 12 hours a day, seven days a week. <laughs> and completely honest, maybe some people wouldn't admit that, but, you know, in, 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 in like, if, if you carve out some really quality time, the problem I'm having quality versus quantity if it's if it's an hour and a half where i go and me and my daughter go in the pool we go swimming or we take a ride or whatever i have to uh, within myself say you know what that was our time together now it's time for daddy to go and work or do what he needs to do so i could give what i need to give in those moments because you know like you're saying you know you're, you're in your office and two two rooms away you hear you know fun or and and or they're having with mommy or a nanny. Then when you had a nanny on the, the whole thing, I didn't mm-hmm. grow up. With, I didn't grow up with a nanny. So it was my parents, my grandparents, aunts and uncles. It was more like the family kind of pitched in. But when you move away from your family and you really don't have that like support system, you have to hire the support system. And then you feel almost a little bit guilty of like the nanny's doing such a great job. And then you're like, man, she, is the kids having more fun with the nanny than she had more with me? It's just, it's a kind now of... Now you're competitive. <laughs> she's not that great, kids. I'm telling you right now, your dad, I got it, okay? She's fun, <laughs> but I got it. No, I know. I, I'm the same way. Our, our nanny is like on, I, I don't even know what, is like, tomorrow we're going to go to a strawberry farm. Like, that sounds so horrible to me. Oh, I can't God, I even hell you and she's like oh my god we had the best time blake and wyatt loved every second at the strawberry farm i'm like god bless you i can't do it i i'm 51 years old i don't want to go to the strawberry farm no no i'm telling you like some of the worst some of the worst times with the kids are holidays like oh fuck we gotta go to the pumpkin patch like I don't really want to go to the pumpkin patch at all. It's just hell. Or you got to go get a Christmas tree. Everything is sort of a planned outing. But I will say, dude, what what you said is true. I, I believe that it's quality over quantity. There are plenty of parents who are there all the time who don't play with their kids. You know, who don't you know engage with their kids. They ignore them. If you get two or three solid hours, memorable hours with your kids. You know that that's what counts. You know, and, and and I think morning and bedtime; those are the two big ones. I think like waking up with them, being present for that morning, and then getting them in bed and having that nighttime ritual. You know, I mean, you're good on the front end, the back end. The middle of the day is kind of a wash. <laughs> you know. Yeah, and you guys could probably speak to this more because you have older kids. I, I'm and I'm hearing once they, you know begin to grow and it gets fun it gets a little bit more you know interactive uh you know my daughter now is you know talking and she's three years old and now i'm starting to see like oh my god yeah this is but you know when when they're infant and breastfeeding and 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 sleeping and and it's just like for a while i'm I'm, i was just trying to figure out where where do i insert myself into this equation yeah breastfeeding i would start with breastfeeding (laughs) (laughs) i don't think that's wrong you gotta still date your wife you gotta still date your wife as your wife say that all the time my wife we still have to date. We still have to date. I'm like, I, this is, this is the energy I have. We, we're within this framework. We can date or we can raise two year old twin boys. You pick, but when they're down, the dating is that shot. And unless we have a lot of help. Yeah, you can't even go out anyway now uh, with, with what's going on. We For the last 73 days, I've literally cooked every meal in the house. My wife doesn't do any of the cooking, so I basically I feel like I'm running a hotel over here. I get up at 5 <laughs> every morning waiting for my guests to come down for brunch. It's like they kept us inside with the pandemic, and now I live in Los Angeles. I'm trying to – I feel like I'm a teenager again asking what the curfew is. I know. It's crazy. I'm here too. I'm in L.A. as well. <clears throat> you know, it's true, but I think – I think, you know, I've said this before, it's not about 
it's not about if you fuck up your kids. It it's sort of just to what degree you fuck up your kids. We're all we're all gonna screw. We're screwing them up one way or the other. We're just trying our best. And 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 and, and you know, it's just about the degree. We're all we're all, we're all fucked up in some kind of a way. And the other thing too is there's this idea that you have to sort of have love at first sight. You know, when you have a kid, everyone says, "Oh, it was love at first sight." Don't fall into that trap. Maybe it will happen. But most of the time, it's like, holy shit, what is going on right now? This alien being has just emerged from my wife. And now it's, it's all this shit all over it. And it's going into this thing. I, you know, for me, it wasn't love at first sight. I mean, I, you had, I had to grow into the love for my children because it was just a shock, shock, shock to the system for me. Oh, you know, oh, and I is. had no... I had no, I had no guilt about that though. You know what I mean? Well, I had to take a couple walks around the block because for the first couple of years, my daughter really was solely into mommy. And I was like, wow, this, you know, I mean, I, you know, I thought what happened to daddy's little girl? I, I, <laughs> oh, that's coming. Don't worry. That's <laughs> yeah, coming. They run to daddy when stuff is sideways with mommy, especially <laughs> it's coming. You got it. Don't worry. About um, it. Hey, when you did you were you born in Italy and then you came over with your fam? No, no, my father was born there when he came when he was fifteen in Sicily, right? Yeah, he's from Sicily. We we, we went back about I'd say ten years ago for a father and son trip. He hadn't been back in since he left fifty years, and I've never been because wow. he he went down with uh, quadruple bypass surgery. And I said, listen, let's plan a trip before you pass away. Uh-huh. And shortly after he got out of the hospital, we arranged a trip. And uh, I'm so glad we did it because now he goes back every year and he's reconnected with friends and, and family that, you know, he lost touch with over the last 50 years. And he goes back to his small town in, in, in Sheffaloo, Sicily. And, you know, he's like the mayor now. So, um, yeah, it was a nice trip. I'm, I'm, I'm really, really, um, I'm really glad we took the time to do it because if we hadn't, I think that would have been a huge missing on, uh, on both of our parts. So, uh my I, my whole side of the family, my dad's side of the family is Sicilian as well. So I'm sure our families have crossed paths. We're the Salernos. That's like our family are the Salernos. And my um, my great grandfather lived in Naples, and he met my grandmother Tessie in in, in New York. He was uh, you know he came through Ellis, but he was his brother. My great-grandfather's brother is Big Fat Salerno, who was the head of the Genovese. Oh, is that right? Yeah, which is crazy. I found this out, like, I don't know, maybe five or six years ago when my sister and I sort of got into the whole ancestry thing, and then we started calling our side of the family, my dad's side of the family, who we don't have a lot of contact with, but we were just curious, you know. So it turns out that that was the whole history of you know, the Salernos. And then they went to Portland, you know, and my grandmother was my great, great, my, my great grandmother was just badass too. When it came to all that stuff, she was like running numbers. I mean, it's this whole world that was exposed to us about six But what years if, ago. is they got all this from your spit? What if they sent this same story to like a hundred people? No. Just because you sent your spit in a in a vial into some website. Now you know that your grandmother was running numbers. <laughs> what do you mean? You're you're saying that 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 everyone is 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 getting the same story? What are you talking about? I, I yeah, it's exactly what I'm talking about. And so I think Sebastian's with me on this. <laughs> well, you know, it's that like it, it must be crazy to like join like ancestry.com. And and the tree tells you you're connected to the mob. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy. God, I'm learning more about you, Oliver, than any of our guests. Every time you got more shit that you come up with. I, I, I don't. What are you sitting on this stuff? You're like, okay, I'm going to release this one this week. Mm-hmm. How do you just? How do you keep coming up with it's this just, stuff? It's just it's an organic conversation. You know, we're both from sort of the same parts of the world. I guess you know. Yeah, that's all. So your dad continues to work to this day, which, I mean, says all you need to really know about your dad in his mid-70s, still cutting hair and dyeing hair and whatever the hell he does. He's, uh, it took, I mean, he, when he took the two months off for COVID, 
the quarantine, he was going nuts. I mean, this is a guy who doesn't golf, doesn't have hobbies, doesn't do any of that stuff. Work is his life. And he was climbing up a wall. And now he went back and I go, aren't you worried about the, maybe the virus? You're, you know, 74 years old. You're kind of in that age group. You got hypertension. And he's like, hey, if I die behind the chair, I die behind the chair. (laughs) (laughs) Some die in a chair, some die behind the chair. So it's all your perspective. So let's go back to your childhood for just a second. So brothers and sisters, what what do you got there? I got a sister who's younger. She's five years younger. She's out here in Los Angeles uh, editing. And my mother is out here in L.A. Um, You're the oldest. Yeah, I'm the oldest. So when they divorced, it was... Threw me a curveball because I just didn't see it coming. And, uh, you know, you always kind of hear about people or kids who ha- deal with a divorce at a young age, but you never really hear, you know, how someone deals with a divorce in their late 30s. Uh, oh, my God. Uh, and it, how did that hit you? I mean, that's crazy shit. Yeah, it took a while. You know, like I never thought I'd see my mother at 74 years old on eHarmony. You know, <laughs> I always thought I was going to call back to my house and the, my mother was going to hand my dad the phone. I wasn't going to have to do two separate Christmases or two separate Thanksgivings or what have you. So it's been an adjustment over the years. I could kind of laugh about it now, but right uh, when it happened, it was something that I couldn't really pull humor from because I needed some time to kind of like let it sink in and then that's a, with a lot of humor it's, it doesn't sometimes happen right in the beginning you just have to let it marinate a little bit what is wh- wh- i mean how long were they married uh they were probably married 35 years 34 years but that's i would so- imagine i would imagine sebastian that makes you go back and reevaluate things that you thought as a kid i mean i even do that in therapy my self with how I perceived my mom and dad's marriage and how now being on the other side of it, looking back and going, uh, you start to connect dots. Have you, have you done any of that? Did you go, okay, you know, this was just how all you knew, but does it make you think of your childhood any differently or think of, you know, their relationship that at one point was one thing to you and now in your late thirties was another? Yeah. Well, uh, they, they didn't really show us the problems in the marriage. Uh, plus, then I moved out to Los Angeles when I was 24 years old, so I probably didn't see a lot of that kind of escalating uh, back in Chicago. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it's kind of, you know, I, I haven't done any therapy or anything uh, close to, like, talking that out, although I always tell my wife that I would like to someday kind of just, you know, like, I, I actually interviewed, like, a therapist over the phone, and we had a conversation. And right away, I'm like, I ain't this guy. I, I, I mean, like, how do you how do you find a good therapist? What you got to go through a few? The worst thing is every time you go to a new one, or if you were to interview, you got to start back. Well, I was born in Chicago, and then it's like you got to go through forty years of your life, and then by that point, you're either in or you're out. I don't, I don't want to keep telling the same story. That's the hard thing, I think. I mean, Oliver, you and Kate have had this guru you guys talk to that <laughs> seems seems to be good for you. I like him. I had I was in therapy for 15, 16 years with the same guy. But it got to the point where I would go into the session and sit down in the chair and it would just be silent. And he's a great man. He was a really great man, but he had this like little mustache. He looked like Jim Croce. He looks exactly like Jim Croce. And he would just sit there and look at me, and no words were said. And finally, his name was Jan. I'm like, Jan, like, what are you thinking, man? Like, what are we doing right now? He goes, I'm just holding you in the space. And, I, and I'm like, but this is, nothing's happening right now, you know? So I had to get out of that because I needed a different kind of therapy. And then I found this guy that I really like. But The other hard I, thing is going through a divorce which I did and then sending your kids to a therapist and you're not even in there. So they're in there talking to some therapist who, because they have their name on a diploma from somewhere and they have an office 
that that tells you that they're obviously the greatest therapist ever. I don't know what's going on in there. And then eventually both my daughters are like, I we don't say anything. She doesn't say anything. And I'm like, well, okay, let's try another one. And then you're but going did you just do this because your wife was she like she's like honey you need to at least like try and you're like okay you know what i came to it on my on my own like you know i'm 46 years old and i and i tried it when i was six years ago i went to a couple of sessions but yeah just just to go and talk to somebody other than the people that are in my life you know i mean i don't know what that you know, again, you guys can speak to it more than I can, but like what that does. And, and the irony of it is, isn't your dad kind of a de facto therapist? Isn't that why sometimes, you know, that that's what the hairdresser becomes almost because you're a captive audience in a chair and they're, they're hearing everybody's life. So, I mean, is that part of kind of his, I'm sure that people get enjoyment out of sitting in that chair, just talking to your dad. You know, he's kind of been, you know, uh, in my ear, giving me advice or kind of a quasi therapist, I guess, if you like to call him that just he's been kind of the guy I go to for guidance. But yeah, uh, just to try somebody outside the circle of my family. I don't know. I'd, I'd give it a shot. You were in a really weird position though you know like you said you were 30 something years old when your parents split up that's that's crazy in a way what that does uh, you know do you take sides like kids take sides with mom or dad like what's the point what the fuck are you doing you're you're 70 some years old why not just live it out yeah that's what my dad didn't want to do I, I you know i just think he he wanted he wasn't happy he didn't want to live the rest of his life i mean i make a joke i mean italians just normally die unhappy they don't get divorced but uh they got divorced and uh and i didn't take sides i love them equally it's not didn't come from that type of family our family is not really dysfunctional in the sense where there was not a you know didn't come home and a lot of yelling i mean we 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 had disagreements and, and what have you but i didn't grow up in a family which which is really dysfunctional there was no abuse or alcoholism or drugs or anything like that so for me I had a pretty normal childhood in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. We sit around the kitchen table, had dinner as a family, and uh, had a ball, really laughed. I was the type of guy that everybody came over to my house to hang out with my parents because they were the cool parents. And, and they talked to, you know, before we went out to a dance club, we would come and, and, and get a little liquored up at my house and then go out to a dance club. But, but my parents were like, you know, almost wishing they could come with us. But I feel like that's your, I, I, to me, as a fan of yours, that's such an appealing aspect to you as a comedian, to you, I would assume, as a person, because I feel like all other comics are also, not all, but most, seem to come from this dark place where, you know, it all kind of funnels back to, you know, if you really boil it down, it's really dark. And when I watch you and you're talking about you know, we've got company and, and, you know, that, that's how it was in my house. And it's like, Hey, don't touch the, I love, I mean, I could listen to you say Entenmann's <laughs> cake, you know, and, and, but, but now it's like, there's a samurai sword uh, taped under the couch. Yeah. That's, that's how life has changed. But I grew up, you know, I'm a handful of years older than you, but that's the relatable part that it's like, Oh my God. Yeah. So I guess I was thinking today, how do you, I guess you have to test that stuff out to think, you know, that what you experienced as a kid with quote unquote company uh, is, is relatable for other people because that's, it was so, so much so in my life, but you know, I, I don't know. I, I would imagine that gets a little treacherous or scary trying that kind of stuff out because it's just observational. Here's how I grew up. Is it funny to you? And the answer is obviously yes. Yeah, I think you're right though with the with a lot of these comedians and even for myself, I, you know, listen, I, I love to laugh myself. But sometimes I tune into comedians and I'm like, I can't even relate to I mean, I can't even relate to what they're talking about or you know, for me as a comedian, I'm like, listen, everybody grew up, they had probably similar similar upbringings. Uh and I, let me just talk about kind of my experience, my observations growing up. I your road 
for somebody as successful as you to the outsider, I look you at you and I go, oh my God, this, this has been a quick burst. But for you, I'm sure you're thinking, man, I've been slugging it out here, you know, whether it was working at the Four Seasons or whatever, whatever was going on in your life, trying to do what we've seen over the last, I don't know, five, six years, whatever it's been for you with this kind of explosion. Uh, but really, the overall time that you've been a quote unquote stand up comedian is is not that long. Is am I right on that? Am I off on that? Uh, well, it depends what you think long is. I mean, I started in 1998 doing this, so it's been over the course of 20 years. So it does take a while for a comedian to kind of, or at least for me, I didn't have any TV show or movie that kind of catapulted me into arenas or whatnot. This was basically going to comedy clubs year in, year out, shaking people's hands after after shows, taking pictures with them, selling my DVDs, and then subsequently them coming back with their neighbor or a friend of theirs or their family. And it just kind of snowballed. I mean, I, I would start seeing groups of 14, 16 people showing up at comedy clubs because they're like, man, this guy feels like this guy grew up with us. So, yeah, I don't know. I mean, 22 years, it's been a – I mean – in the in the world of stand-up comedy it's you know i i would i would consider myself becoming a seasoned veteran i guess Mm -hmm. did did you did you evolve did your comedy evolve i mean from day one till now i mean were you a different comic back then oh yeah i look at the comedy i was doing when i first arrived very angry very unlikable uh, no real like letting the audience in, no real personal stuff. I did a lot of kind of broad based humor. I didn't never really got into my family and my upbringing. And that's when it really kind of turned for me when I started talking about those little, uh, little morsels of personal anecdotes that people started really kind of gravitating towards the humor. How did that happen though? Like, was there a moment of that? I know evolution is over time, but was there a flashbulb moment where it was like, Oh, you know what? This is what I, this is the path that I need to go on now. Like, how did you, how did that change for you? Well, I remember when I did a, a, one of my specials called what's wrong with people. I did a joke about how Italians don't bring a gift. They bring an envelope of cash and this, it was this whole thing centered around the cash that you get at an Italian wedding. And I thought to myself, should I leave that in there during the editing process? I mean, should I leave that in there or, or is, is it too specific where people are going to go, what? Anyway. But I left it in there and I'm so glad I did because that's a joke that a lot of people kind of resonated with, particularly the Italian Americans and immigrant type families. You don't have to be Italian to get the humor. You could be Greek or Spanish or mm-hmm. really resonated with that group of people. And uh, I kind of took the ball and ran with it from there and started talking about my father and his way of thinking and, you know, whatever, just growing up in the garden and, and killing, uh, you know, raccoons with bologna, which he never did. You get people complaining, oh, hey, your dad killed, you know, animals with antifreeze. In Bologna, it's just like no. I heard that story from a friend of mine's father, and I just gave that whole story to my dad. Yeah, there's creative license when you when you know in in your bits for sure. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's the way it has to be. Honestly, you know. Yeah. People wonder when I am watching a sporting event if and I'm on my couch, if I'm doing the play-by-play in my head, if as you go through life and you're an observational-type comedian, I mean, do you does that inner voice ever shut up? Like, are you constantly, like, kind of grinding on, on what you see around you and how you can turn it into something funny? Well, first of all, do you when you watch a game? <laughs> I do, yeah. <laughs> I do. I can't not. Well, I I can't not think in my head, especially hockey, which I don't do, and it's quicker. And I'm trying to think, man, could I do this? Am I smart enough to say Ovechkin to Savetnikov over to you know that kind of stuff and 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 do that type of play by play? So hockey is the one that's always in my head. 
but yeah, if I'm watching a big game, I'm critiquing the person I'm watching and I'm trying to do it myself all at the same time. And I, I would imagine for you, you have a notebook, you're using voice notes, or, or do you just remember it or, or do you hope you remember it when, when you're going through the daily life? Well, in a normal setting, uh, if the comedy store was open here in Los Angeles, I would go there every night. And then if something happened during the day that I thought was funny, I would make a mental note to go, I want to talk about this tonight on the, on, on the stage. I really haven't had that outlet in the last 75 days, obviously, because you just can't do stand-up comedy right now in Los Angeles. So my thoughts have been very internalized and... I did a couple of corporate Zoom uh, events. The offer came in and like, can you do 40 minutes? And I'm like, listen, comedy doesn't work standing in front of a, a laptop. <laughs> so uh, the way I structured it was more of a sit down, almost like if I were to go on Jimmy Fallon or Jimmy Kimmel, where the, the setups uh, are, are given in this situation by the moderator. And then I would just tell a funny story sitting down and then, pick on people on zoom uh you know would scroll through the page and like pick on people and it, it actually worked out really well i was i was really reluctant to do it because i'm like this is this is not gonna work but it, it, it kind of did so i've been getting some of the internal thoughts about pandemic family life and what have you out in that manner plus i have a podcast myself once a week with pete corielli which we exchange uh, stories about our personal and professional lives. But when I do record, when I do stand up, I always record it and then I play it back to find out kind of where the beats are and then, and then work on it um, the next night. Right. But you read, do you do a lot of riffing? You know, I mean, you know, it's, you don't, it's not a lot of memorization. It's a lot of just sort of, here's my story and here's how I'm going to tell it. Yeah. It would be like, you know, you telling the story about you finding out about ancestry.com. You're just recanting mm. that happened in your, and then you're playing it back in your head and regurgitating the information. So as far as riffing is concerned, I, it's not like I do a lot of crowd work, but if I do have an idea on stage that I didn't plan on doing, those to me are kind of like almost the best ones because they were in your brain somewhere, mm -hmm. and uh, if it's unplanned, it, it, those could be like gems. Yeah. Well, you also tell a story so many times that it's just a part of you. You know, like I, 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 I love storytelling in general. You know, I think it's the best way to communicate. Uh, you know, even even from even learning, like my kids. You know, telling a story is one of the great ways to learn and to laugh and to communicate. And I've told stories so many times that, you know, boom, they're right in my head and I can tell them. And I know the beats of the story because I have just told it so many times, even though it's not verbatim, you know. Yeah. I, I, I wonder, though, I, I'm sorry to, to geek out on the whole stand-up world, but but I've been on national TV and I've asked let's say Troy Aikman, the first question in our little stand-up, he does his answer, and then I'm just stuck. I'm like, wait, what the hell am I supposed to lead him into now about the Eagles' defense or whatever it is? Because you get, I don't know, your mind jumps the track or something, and, and I, that's what I'm always fascinated with, the transitions that the great ones do where you, you're not making it feel like a routine as much as you're just thinking out loud. And, and have you ever been stuck? Like, where where am I? And, and I just got a laugh that I didn't expect or I didn't get a laugh when I did expect it. And now where do I go from here? Do you, do you get that ever? Got that on national TV and Jimmy Fallon show. Oh. I was a into my act. And I completely went blank. I, I, I couldn't remember anything. And they had cue cards. And I remember I couldn't even see the cue cards. It was like almost blurry. And, and I'm sitting there in the microphone. And I'm like, I kept saying, I'm, a, I'm Italian. I'm Italian. I, I, <laughs> it was almost like coming down with some type of Alzheimer's in the moment. And, and then I turned to the band. And they looked at me and they're like, bro, we don't know, you know, we don't know your act. So <laughs> it, it felt like it lasted for 28 minutes, but 
it was only 10 seconds. And then I snapped back out of it and I picked it up. And I was so embarrassed when I came back to the couch and I told Jimmy, I said, I'm so sorry, bro. I don't know what happened to me out there. He said, no, no, don't worry about that. It happens all the time. We'll just cut it out and, and piece it together and, and yeah. uh, post. And I could not stop thinking about it until I saw it. And once I saw it, I'm like, oh, that was really clean. But if you go back and watch it, you could see me come out of a coma. <laughs> but, yeah, I, that's the only time it really happened like that. And I don't know why it happened. Um, but, yeah, sometimes you're surprised uh, when you're doing stand-up, whether it be a joke comes out that you didn't expect a laugh that you expect that you don't get as big a laugh on, you know, there's, there's a lot going on in my head. Isn't it that internal voice though? You know, that's you're waiting for that beat as you guys call it. And then you don't get the laugh. And then the internal voice goes, Oh, why didn't I get a laugh right there? And then it's like, wait, Whoa. Uh, okay. I got to stay in this, you know, that internal voice. That's what, that's what I try to shut off when I'm on doing a super bowl to a hundred million people. And you're like, Man, I just I just want to get through this clean and not embarrass myself. And if I can go to bed tonight not in a cold sweat because I just screwed this up, I'll be happy. Like and when Randy Moss book. peed on the goal on the like that. Exact yeah. That right. exactly. What yeah. happened? <laughs> He's it's, giving me shit for the ninth thousandth time. It's one of Joe's worst moments in, in broadcasting. To you. <laughs> To you, it's one of to my a lot of people. Of- to a lot of people in Green Bay, he scores a touchdown. He's a Viking at the time. Scores a touchdown, and he goes to the end zone, and he pantomimes like pulling his pants down and mooning the crowd, and then goes over to the goalpost and kind of rubs his ass on it. And I said, "That's disgusting," <laughs> and we shouldn't show that in replay. And it just came out, and I. <laughs> I had to pay for that uh, for the next two weeks in the sports talk shows. All of a sudden, I was the bad guy, and you know, he got fined. And that was when that I don't know if you remember, but they caught him in the in the parking lot. They're like, "Randy, what? Are you, how are you going to pay for this ten thousand dollar fine?" He's like, "Straight cash, homie." Oh yeah, and that's what that was from. Yeah. So that was all from that whole thing, and it uh, the spotlight kind of swung around on me. Yeah, that was a and, good one. The know, other good, the other good one was uh, U.S. Open. Brooks Kepka's girlfriend that was not the right girl. Are we just doing my shittiest hits? <laughs> uh, it's just fun, you know what I mean. That was yeah, a it's great, fun for you. That was a great it's one. Fun he, for you. Wait, wait. Did he wait with that one? Don't just you have to go clean Kate's pool or something? <laughs> just wait a minute. You know, this, was it the wrong girlfriend? It was his ex girlfriend's name that you used. Is that what was yeah, that? What so it was? some guy hands me a card who I've never <laughs> said his name out loud or publicly. He's never been heard from since. He handed me a card. You know, that's his girlfriend. Whatever, Karen and Sandra. And I read it, and then Fat Brad Faxon, I'm working with, is like. No, actually, uh, Brooks and uh, Sandra broke up. That's his new girlfriend. That's uh, <laughs> Jenna Sims. I'm like, that was the last thing we did after four straight days of like nine hours of live TV. It's like, okay, well, uh, just fuck that up. Good night, everybody. And then that I got to chew on that for the rest of the year. Were you a we're big Chicago a big Chicago sports fan, Sebastian? Yeah, I still am. I'm, I'm, all I'm, of I'm, it? All, yeah. of, all of them? Blackhawks, oh, Bears. I'm not. I've been in LA for 22 years, and I used to love the uh, Showtime Lakers in the 80s, but uh, haven't adopted any of the teams here as my own. I always, you know, Blackhawks, Bulls, Bears, uh, White Sox more than Cubs, but I don't hate the Cubs. Um, mm. But yeah, I, I, yeah, I just grew up watching those guys. And was um, your dad a sports fan? Yeah, uh, like I said earlier, him and I really bonded over the bulls but he's a diehard bears fan he loves the bears but i don't know if he loves the bears but there's really nothing to cheer about every year so we we get we get our kicks and calling each other during the game and go did you see that what the hell is he so god i want them to be good life is good when the chicago bears are good and i have i've it's come in in little spurts over the 20 years i've been doing it but Man, when that city's lit up for the Bears, it is just there's nothing better. In the dead of winter, Soldier Field, freezing, and 
I mean, that's just what football's all about. So every year I'm like, God, please have a good draft. God, figure it out. We, you know, I just want to see that team you know, relevant and rise. Uh, you, you referenced Alzheimer's earlier with the Fallon thing. I know that's where some of your foundation money goes to because your grandfather had it. My grandfather had it, which I, I witnessed as a kid. And I mean, there's just, there are a few things as uh, horrible to watch as watching somebody not know who they are, where they are, who's around them, you know, just be as, as unnerved as, as somebody in the throes of Alzheimer's really is. Is that something you think about a lot? Like, am I genetically programmed for this or you? Cause I do, I'm the worst hypochondriac of all time. No, I, I don't think about that. I, I am a hypochondriac in other ways. I don't necessarily think, Oh, my father has hypertension. Although my father will tell me that you better be worried about having a heart attack. Uh, I don't know. It's uh, that's something every dad tells son. But uh, I remember him <laughs> FaceTime five weeks ago, the mid-pandemic, and he's like, you're having too much meat. I go, what? Stop it with the meat. So, uh, you know, even 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 at four, he's, he's uh, trying to – Telling you what to do. <laughs> it doesn't end. I'm 51. And my mom is like – and there's nothing you can say. There's nothing I can say. So I was like, well, I think I did okay with you. You know, like when I she's trying to insert herself into me raising my forty eight kids that I now have, and Aren't you I think pretty I, hel- like, you're pretty healthy though, right? I mean, you 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 eat well and you work out, right? Is that part of your life? I I have it. I have pre pandemic. I I was on a good roll. Yeah, it's when I go on the road, I I really eat clean. I don't drink at all. When I come home, then my wife and I we kind of really bond over food and wine and dinner. I love that. I love that. It's really great. And so needless to say, I think between my wife and I have had 75 <laughs> bottles. Oh, I know, man. I know. God, I know. So you is need a it's... counter on the wall. Is I she know. Italian as well? She's Jewish. She's a Spanish Jew from Memphis, Tennessee, and she likes food uh, as much as I do. And it's really kind of like, we love, we got married in Napa. We love going to Italy. We love having, entertaining people at the house and seeing people enjoy co- our cooking or, or what have you. So, yeah, I've gained some some weight over this. Oh, uh, yeah. Pen. Oh, yeah. But you're a cook. You love to cook. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't say I'm making uh, Michael Vipaggio's type, mm-hmm. type, type of plates over here. But, you know, uh, yeah, I, I love meat. I love making mm-hmm. Eggplant. I love uh, fish. I do a nice little uh, ass with some mixed vegetables. You know, simple stuff. Nothing, nothing with heavy, heavy ingredients. No, I know, but I, I've always loved to cook. You know, but in this pandemic, I am, I'm like uh, borderline obsessed with it now. Like I want to continue on. I love it so much. It's so fun. I mean, it's such, it's so gratifying. You know, it's, it's, it's rewarding in that sense. And that's kind of where I've gotten, my, like, I love making breakfast for my daughter and my son and watching them, them eat. It's, I don't know. It's part of the Italian culture, I guess. Yeah. No, it's nice. It is good, man. Um, as, as we wind down, we, we like to ask a question that, uh, Oliver thought of, uh, and, and I think it, it's worthwhile, especially for you, um, with regard to you as a dad of young kids. As you look back, what is a what is a an attribute your dad uh, showed as a father that you've carried forward, and you're glad that you did? And is there anything, be it hypertension or anything else that that he did, <laughs> or exemplified as when you were younger that that you wish you hadn't uh, picked up from him? Well, in regards to parenting. Uh, I want to instill in my kids the same thing he instilled in me, which was like work ethic. You got to work to get to where you need to be. No one's going to give you anything. I like that mentality. Um, And I want to like definitely give that to my kids. However, it's funny navigating these waters. I grew up in a working middle-class family and, you know, like I said, one vacation a year, my dad brought a lot of cash with him on the vacation. When that ran out, 
we got back in the car and we drove back home. There was no credit cards, nothing like that. And we, we went to a Bulls game, but all he could afford was, you know, upper deck, third balcony, obstructed view, you know. And, and then as I became more successful and be able to afford a better seat and what have you, I always run in my back of my head. I'm going to have kids and I'm going to bring them to a game, you know, and I want them. I almost want to go up an instructed view to, to tell them that it's not always going to be, you know, you know, 10th row or whatever. Like, you know, it, it's hard to navigate bringing up kids when you have some type of success and money and showing them that you have to work for everything you have. You just can't give your kids everything, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's, that's a struggle that I, that I see happening. Not that, you know, like, it's funny because I, I work so hard. I want to sit there now. I don't want to mm -hmm. sit in the bleeds, mm -hmm. but, but by my dad giving me that experience, I appreciate when I go and sit in a, in a 10th row or I get great tickets to an event I know, I know the alternative. I have something to compare it to, mm -hmm. and I just the something to compare it to feeling. I guess. Yeah. No. I. I, I can. I can relate to that as your as one of your kids. You know, hypothetically, because you know I grew up. You know, with famous parents and parents who had cash. You know, and they could afford to sort of take us anywhere they wanted to, and they could give us everything that they wanted, but they were, they were very adamant about, you know, within our four walls, you know, you, you know, you don't, you don't get everything that you want. You know what I mean? You have to work for your shit. You can't take things for granted. And the way the punishment worked in my family was the small things. We got not the big things, not when I get arrested for paintballing and all the stupid shit that I did, not really punished for that, punished for the small things when you're being an asshole you know, when you're taking things for granted, when you're spoiled, um, those were when they came down on us hard because it was important for them, for us to understand that, you know, this isn't the, re this isn't the real world. It's your world, but this is not real life, you know. Um, but I always said, though, I always said, because my mother has an amazing story, just her success story. It's just an amazing tale, you know, going to New York when she was 19, getting discovered and their whole and dancing in go-go cages in Las Vegas. I mean, it's just an amazing story. And I remember as a kid when I was 15, 16, I was almost upset. You know, I was said, I said, I said, I'm, I, I'm so I'm jealous. I will never have that story, you know. Um, I wanted that story. You know, I wanted to have some sort of a tale like that. And, uh, I mean, I have my own. You have your own struggles, no doubt. But, you know, I think spoiled to me is not about getting a bunch of shit. I think you can get, you can be given a lot and still not be spoiled. And then you could be given little and be spoiled, you know. It's just about the appreciation for things. And I make a point with my kids to tell them like you are you're lucky fuckers you 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 have to know how lucky you are you know yeah. but i get that i get the the almost fear in a way of like whoa you know now you're you're growing up with everything that i didn't have and who are you going to become now you know yeah totally relate to that and uh, hopefully i'll navigate those waters successfully but uh, something that's definitely in the back of my head because yeah. it's going to be counter to everything, you know, you're you're going to want to protect and insulate and daddy can make everything right for your son and your daughter. And uh, sometimes you have to kind of stop yourself from trying to make everything perfect. And and I'm, I'm struggling with that to this day with my daughters in her early 20s and in New York and uh, starting an acting career and a daughter who's in L.A. at USC. And, you know, when they come to me, it's like what do you want? I'll do whatever. I'll, I'm here for you. And, and it's hard to be like, uh, you know, that part-time job you've been talking about, it's time to grab that. And, uh, they're, they're getting there, but it's, that's, that's something that, that as a successful parent, you're going to have to figure does your out. Dad ever, does your dad ever say to you like, no, I don't want like, that's too much. I don't want you to put that in your act since it's so centered around your father. Is he ever like, he's like, Sebastian, don't talk about this shit. Don't, don't, don't say that. Never. 
Because as long as you're making money, don't keep doing. Yeah. So <laughs> I love that. You know, you don't care. There's nothing off limits. At least I haven't hit anything. That's great. Well, thanks, brother, for talking. Yeah, to us. we we little... appreciate it. I'm obviously a huge fan, and for you to come on uh, means a lot. All of our yeah. Zoom issues uh, getting know. back on, and uh, this is obviously a difficult time to to talk about some of the stuff that we talk about because it seems irrelevant. But uh, at some point, you know, hopefully change will happen in society and we'll be back to kind of life as we knew it prior to the pandemic. So keep doing what you're doing. And uh, God, it's fun watching you do your thing, Sebastian. Yeah, man. Thanks, brother. Stay safe. And uh, I hope to meet you guys in person one of these days. Yeah, if you ever want to sit next to me at a Bears game or just send your pop, he can do a little, you know, he can do a little trim up job on my uh my hair replacement. He can <laughs> he can dye my he can dye my replaced <laughs> hair and then he as a reward he can sit next to me uh wow. watching Mitch Trubisky uh try to sling it around soldier. Listen, I don't want to spoil my dad. I want to put him- <laughs> Okay, yeah. Good. Yeah, you could spoil him too up the chain. Great. <laughs> Good. Well, then send your kids. We have good seats at Soldier Field. Oh, cool. Well, thank you. I appreciate it, guys. All right, Be brother. Good. All right. Bye-bye. Take care, man. Thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.